from the Credit Union National Association. This is the CUNA News Podcast. Credit Union people, credit union ideas. I'm Jennifer Wolt, a senior editor for CUNA News and Credit Union Magazine. I recently spoke with Pamela Green, an executive coach and trainer who works with organizations to find ways to engage and maximize their talent. Green will lead a breakout session during the CUNA HR and Organizational Development Council conference. During the session, she'll examine the role and behaviors of a chief collaborator, as well as how to increase collaboration within the workplace. She touched on some of these ideas during a conversation with the CUNA News Podcast. Pamela, can you just give us a little bit of a a background of of who you are and and what you do and what kind of topics that, that you focus on? Oh, sure. So I am a, currently I'm an executive coach, um, consultant, keynote speaker, author, and trainer. And primarily, I spend a lot of time working with organizations on their sort of people engagement, their processes, and really helping them to engage and maximize the talent that they have internally. And we'll do that through a number of or a variety of different things. Sometimes I'm called in to consult on a specific challenge that they're facing. Uh, but most of the time, it's something around coaching and working with some executives or some talent that seems to be struggling uh, a little bit. When I'm not working in organizations, I do find that I am, you know, I'm called on to do a lot of keynote speaking around the country. And surprisingly, a lot of my audience are, are non-HR organizations that need to know a little more about sort of the HR world, which I think is so incredibly important. And I think it's critically important because when I worked as chief membership officer for the Society for Human Resource Management, or better known as SHRM, you know, I was really surprised at how sometimes there is a disconnect between the value of HR in an organization and the leader's responsibility to discharge their HR um, core activities that often they want to shirk and give away. So it, it, it really is a, I'm, I'm sort of playing in this really nice sandbox between bridging the gap between HR and other um, departments, divisions, leaders that um, are in the organization. When we talk about organizations and we talk about leadership and and HR stuff, we hear a lot of this term of the collaborative leader. What is a collaborative leader? You know, there are just lots of wonderful reports. And um, I like to think of the collaborative leader as someone who recognizes that change needs a champion. You know, they have to recognize that there is an opportunity to bring people together. But first, they have to know when people aren't, you know, when there's this disconnect and then be willing to jump in. So initially, you have to be this this very uh, sensitive and, and attuned to the need to connect. Um, often it's referred to as being a connector or a bridge builder. And and then I think you have to be a person that stays on top of your game. And any in any talent, right, any work that you do, you want to you want to be on top of your game, but as a collaborator, it means you have to understand the business. You know, you really have to be a curator of all of the information that the org- that's happening in and around the organization to know how the pieces should fit together so you'll know how to bring them back together. If you're just in your own pot of human resources or marketing or finance, it is very difficult to be a, collabor- a collaborative leader or facilitator because you only know your piece. You don't care about the others most of the time. But the collaborator or the the chief collaborating officer has to be a person that understands the business and knows how to put them together. And I think the third and really most important is you got to be willing to engage and confront. Um, And I call it care fronting. 
but um, it's often one of the the, the least desired um, responsibilities of a, a leader. But you got to be able to bring people together and work through conflict. And there are ways to do that that help minimize the emotional element while also addressing what people need in order to move forward. Because you have a need, the other group of person has a need, there has to be a happy medium. And I think the person that gets there first is really the winner. Let's, let me get there. Let me help bring us together so that we can move forward and try to, to limit some of the, the negative aspects of coming together um, through those negative emotional interactions. So you, you've kind of actually touched on it a little bit, but what kind of behaviors do a, a good collaborative leader exhibit or, or have? Yeah, they first, they have to be emotionally intelligent, right? So we talk about emotional intelligence, but it really is having some control of your own emotions. Because if you don't, then you're never going to be able to help other people. Because we, the reason why we have conflict is because we deeply, we believe deeply about something. We're very passionate. And if I can't get some control over my emotions, then my emotions will rule the day, rule the experience, and we will completely forget about the reason why we're there. So they have to be emotionally intelligent. And I think that they have to understand, like I said, basic business practices, but maybe even some change management models, right? So knowing, you know, the ADCAR model um, or some of these other, you know, um, uh, models that I think are uh, are really in- appropriate and important because you don't want to have just one change management model. You want to have several sort of models that are your go-to models that you can sort of refer to when you are bringing people together because one model might not fit every situation. So you want to look at some of the different uh, models that are um, that are available. So I think that those are th- those are just some of the key, you know, core behaviors and um, that that are really needed. Now it sounds like not everybody is going to be a great fit for that collaborative leader, but I'm guessing also not every organization is going to be a great fit for having those collaborative me- leaders in place. What what does an organization need to do? I think that every organization has a place for someone to emerge as a collaborative leader. But I don't think, to your point, every organization needs a so-called chief collaborator. Sometimes they have these strategic leaders, and so their job is to, you know, you know, make sure that there's organizational alignment with department individual goals. So I get that. Those are larger organizations. But I think that any leader can show up as a, a collaborator, you know, and, and really facilitate that change. And, and in fact, I don't even think it has to be a leader. I just think it has to be someone that's willing to um, develop facilitation skills so that they can bring people together and recognize when the opportunity exists. Um, but I think organizations need to create an environment. And what I mean by that is, you know, some structure. So without structure, if we go back to like a, a project management um, approach, I love project management approach to coaching and facilitating and collaboration because it gives structure. And we people all over the world, we need structure. If we don't give it, we're not, if we don't receive it in any environment, we will make it up on our own or we will feel like we are in total chaos. So I think that whomever is guiding or facilitating whatever the, um, the process is, they need to have a, a model and a process. So an agenda, maybe even a charter, whether you know, what are we trying to accomplish at every meeting? We have to remember to bring people together. Otherwise, we come with our own agendas. We stick to our own agendas. We leave with our own agendas. So having a way that people can come together and rally around 
a core concept, goal, out, outcome, um, or idea. Otherwise, we, we, we miss our intent and we don't achieve our goal. So being a facilitator and having facilitative processes and organized agenda, a specific approach. And then the other thing that I would say is creating white space in your meeting. Because even though, you know, you have a leader or a person that can bring people together, we're going to focus on this today. It doesn't, it doesn't satisfy those people who may have some other things that they want to address. So you create at least five to 10, maybe 15 minutes of white space where people can talk about the other things, you know, it's the, and what else do we need to address here or who else is missing? We need to create some space for, and I call it innovation and creativity space, but it's, it's that space that allows people to add their additional lens or input that we might, might have ignored in that process. Does it matter if an organization is large, small, in between, whether they would be successful having this kind of structure in place or, or leadership in place? No, no, not at all. I mean, I work with very small organizations who we successfully put in um, uh, or adopted, I don't say put in, but adopted a collaborative process where anyone who's sitting at the table can lead and facilitate and coordinate. So, you know, five people, you know, if, you, if it's a five-person organization to a 5,000 or 50,000-person organization, uh, where there's a lot more structures and systems in place, anyone can do this. And in fact, um, I think it's important that everyone embrace so we can get work done. We can't get anything done when we don't have um, collaborative attitudes, and especially sort of in a climate of incivility and, 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 and frustration and all of these things that people seem to be experiencing. We need, you know, serious collaborative leaders now at every level um, in any size organization. And it, and it sounds like, Everybody kind of needs to buy into this this idea, right? I mean, oh yeah, oh my goodness, yeah, yeah. It will pay you forward, right? It's, this is one of those skills when I'm teaching leaders how to coach. I'm telling them, you know, I know you want to. We were talking about coaching inside the organization, but what I will share with them is this is a skill that you can use with everyone: your children, your spouse, or significant other, the lady in the grocery store, the person at the cleaners. You can use this skill anywhere. The same thing with you know learning the skills of being a a really good facilitator for collaboration. You will be able to bring people together um, in any environment, um, in any situation. I mean, you may find that you're being able to bring people together in situations that you had no intention of getting involved in, but because the skill becomes so secondary and natural, you can use it in any in any situation. And it's for everybody, not just your CEO, but maybe all the way down to your frontline staff who are your member service representatives who work with members of a credit union that comes in? Absolutely. I mean, just think about it. The members that come in every day, you've got people that are going to come in with some challenges. They may not understand a system or a process. So imagine that I'm at the front line and I need to help the customer understand or come in alignment with what it is we're trying to do to help them if I can at least a basic level communicate in a way that helps us both get to a win-win, which is really what collaboration is, then I end up being on a win-lose um, side of the game. I'm trying to win. They're trying to win. Somebody's going to lose. Why don't we look at it from a win-win? How can I get to yes for my customer? How do I get to yes for the person on the other side? That's really what collaboration does. It teaches us how to help ourselves and help other people get to yes. So it is a clearly a frontline opportunity. Um, especially when you think about that credit union environment and all of the experiences that people come in with um, when they deal with financial institutions. And you have to help them sort of 
uh, get in line with or understand what the policies are and how they can take advantage of, you know, all that the credit union has to offer. So if we think of it in a positive way and that we're trying to get to a win-win, we're trying to get to a yes, then I think we, we win. Everyone wins. So it's very useful at all levels. Still kind of on the topic of collaboration, but a little bit different than that collaborative leader. I've, I've heard the term collaborative IQ thrown about. What, what is that? Ah, so that's really, um, I refer to it as this sort of assessment as to whether or not we really are um, as collaborative as we think we are. Because you ask anyone and, and people will say, well, yes, of course. You know, I'm uh, I'm I'm collaborative. I know that I, you know, I can bring people together. That's a piece of cake. That's that's nothing to uh, to bring people together. And when you start asking questions, you know, um, around whether or not there is passive aggressive behavior and what you do in a meeting with this passive aggressive behavior, how risks are in the organization, or I put this way, failed risks are addressed. You know, are people punished or is there a learning opportunity? I mean. There are any number of ways for people to think that they are, but really, they're they're not. And so it's just our way of, of doing a little checklist. Let's really see how collaborative you are. And so I usually run through a list of things to, to let people self-identify whether or not they really are a collaborator or uh, and have a collaborative uh, mindset. You talk about a checklist to, to try to figure this out. What kinds of things do you look for? to figure out if, if they have that mindset or not. A past performance is a predictor of future performance, right? So I ask questions around things that are collaborative in nature that tell me whether or not they have um, the readiness to move forward as a chief collaborator. So I'll ask questions around, you know, the last time they have engaged in a situation and that needed a collaboration. What was the scenario? So I'm looking to identify, well, well, what was the what was the sense that you had that this was really a collaborative need? Um, then what did you do to address that? What happened at the end? How much do you really care about the experience of the other person that that you're that you, or group? So if it's group to group, you know, how much do you care about the experience of the group at the end of this? Or are you just trying to achieve your goals? And so I'll, there are questions that help me identify whether or not a person has a mindset. Now, let's say that they fail it completely miserably. And they just couldn't pass it if, you know, I gave them the answers in front of them. It doesn't mean that they're not capable of being collaborator. It just means that there's work to do, right? On a scale of one to five, if one is you're really not a good collaborator and five is you're great, then we just got to move the needle up the scale. And then there are some coaching and some training um, opportunities that will help people move the, move the scale. So I know I didn't give you all of the answers. We'll talk about them in the session. But we certainly, there are just easy ways for people to just self-assess whether or not they're there. The collaborative mindset, that IQ, it, is it something they're born with or is it something that they can learn over time? And it sounds like you can kind of develop it and, and be coached into having that eventually. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is it's all learnable. Anyone, anyone can learn how to be a collaborator. And in fact, if you just go into a kindergarten classroom, you'll see people who just seem to naturally have it. And then you'll see them, you know, you follow those students over the years and you'll see those who have learned to have it. Some people who have it naturally um, are in some ways teaching others. And so if you observe people who do it really well, it's a way of learning. 
you adapt your adapt your style and and you become a better collaborator. But it takes practice, and anyone, and I mean any and everyone, can learn how to be a really good collaborator. If someone realizes that they're not a good collaborator, what what kind of tips would you give them in terms of how to maybe improve their collaboration skills? It depends a lot on their learning style. If they are visual learners, and I would say partner with someone, you know, follow someone, shadow someone, get a mentor who does it really well that you can observe and see them in action. If you are um, more of an auditory learner, then I would say for that person, no, you might want to read a book. You might want to, you know, look at an online program or, you know, even uh, take a, a class um, for both folks. But and those who kind of fall somewhere in the in the middle, you might want to read a book and then participate in a training program or get a mentor or a coach that can help you work through it. But for anyone who wants to learn, you got to get practice. That means you have to volunteer to facilitate um, a collaborative effort. And you know what some of the basic collaborative efforts are? Business meeting. If there's a business meeting and you're a part of it, offer to volunteer to lead that meeting and practice those collaborative skills. See how well you are able to be objective. You know, whether you get to certain biases or can move the group away from some of those decision-making biases that organizations often get dragged down into. So, you know, there's lots of ways to practice and become perfected over a short, very short period of time. So with your example of a business meeting, rather than being that person who has to go to the meeting and kind of sits there and maybe takes some notes and is really quiet and kind of passive, maybe volunteer to be more engaged and, like you said, lead the meeting or organize yeah. some yeah. part of the meeting where we're actively involved and, yeah. and not just sitting there listening. Exactly. And you know what? I would even say, Jennifer, that there is a way to be a sideline collaborator. So what if I'm not leading and I, there's a, there's a, you know, a person that always leads, so that role isn't going to change. Well, you can be a sideline facilitator, a collaborator, by, by observing the room, so you read the room, and then you look to who is not speaking up that you know they have something to offer without putting them on the spot in a negative way. You know, you might throw the ball over to Joan and say, Joan, tell me what you think about this, because I know that you've had some experience here and that you have some really good contributions we'd love to know more about. So you could be a sideline collaborator. And then if you see, you know, dissension arising in the meeting and maybe the lead collaborator facilitator isn't doing what they need to 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 um, mitigate the negativity, you can step up and be a voice of reason and say, hey, I understand, you know, we've got two very passionate um, points of view. How can we come to the middle on where it is we need to go? So you, you don't always have to be the person leading the meeting in order to step up and be seen as a collaborator, a chief facilitator. In the end, how does how does an organization benefit from having folks on staff who who have this collaborative mindset and and want to work together and and how do the individuals themselves benefit? Yeah, overall, I think that the organization will see a lot of diversity of thought. You'll start to see people who bring their best ideas to work instead of leaving them in the you know shower room floor. Um, but they'll bring you their best ideas. You'll be able to leverage them in really creative and innovative ways. You're pulling out of people what is sort of sitting on the surface that they really want to share anyway. You'll see they'll see an increase in bottom line results. And then you'll also see the dismantling of some really derailing behaviors. When people who are very negative um, see that people are stepping up to squash some of that, you'll, you'll see it 
create a, a, an increase in the harmony of how the work gets done. And then personally, um, you're, you're, you're going to boost credibility, believability, likability. People are just going to want to be around you. You're going to be asked to lead and facilitate special projects. You may even have a desire to get a specialized training or certification in the area. And then to your own bottom line, you know, you may see some increase because people who know how to bring people together in positive ways that track toward the organization's goals will see that they are valued in the organization. And that value translates into a number of different ways. And you never have to worry about, you know, your next gig because you're going to remain a real valuable, marketable talent um, in the workplace and in the workforce in general. I can't imagine any answers to this question I'm going to ask, but are there any downsides to having a room full of people who want to collaborate and work together? Uh, sometimes you have so much harmony and you have so much so so much positive interaction that you do have to be careful. That's a really, really good question because the downside could be everyone agrees. Everyone thinks that we should. So who's Who's looking at our blind spot, right? Go back to that Johari's window. Yeah, we're all agreeing and we're moving in the right direction. Are we checking the box on all of these things? But that person who's leading the, the meeting has to recognize this and they have to ask the question, what are we not seeing that maybe other people see that we don't see? What's our blind spot? What are we missing here? What do we know that other people know? Or what don't we know? What information is not up? So really kind of go back to that Johari's window and make sure that you are not avoiding, ignoring, or ignoring your blind spots. So there is a downside. If it's, it can be too harmonious and we're all in agreement, then there, there's a signal that, you know, let's just check in. What are we missing? And the other thing is, if, you, if everybody's agreeing all the time, you might not have all the players in the room because conflict in a collaborative effort is natural. You want to hear different sides of every situation because that's where you avoid ignoring that blind spot. When you have conflict, they're saying, hey, there's a blind spot here. We need to address it. So instead of squashing someone, making sure that you address what the real challenge or threat might be to the direction that we might be heading. So I think um, if we do that, then, then yeah, we'll be able to work through um, and, and um, achieve our goals. And that's why I say sometimes conflict can be a really good thing because it helps us to see what we don't see or maybe what we don't want to see in many respects. So that's a great question. Thanks for asking that. So you really need that person who's willing to step up and play devil's advocate and say, well, what about this? Or what about the flip side of, yeah, I agree, this is the great way to go. But what if we can, we need to consider other options as well, too? Yeah, absolutely. If somebody, you know, if, if we have a really good thing, then you've got to have those questions, you know, what's going to be the three to five year implication? What if this works? What if this doesn't work? What if in the short run it works, but in the long run it really doesn't? And why might it not work? You know, what are the implications for our credit union members and stakeholders and community individuals? What might our competitors do or not be doing as a result? You know, are we going to move into this blue ocean or are we going to still be in this battered, bloody um, part of the shore where everyone is competing? So, you know, really being able to ask those thoughtful, deeper questions is going to help you move forward. And then just the role of HR, it, it in the past few years, it, it seems like it's changing. It's less, it seems like it's less um, here, fill out the forms for your benefits kind of thing and more looking at employee development and talent and how to train folks and whatnot. And how do you draw the line between advocating for the organization and advocating for the employee and balance those kind of two roles? Well, 
we've got a workforce of people who are self-service. I mean, they know how to go online and get things. So if we can make as much of some of the day-to-day stuff self-service, it frees us up to be a lot more strategic and think more broadly about the business of what we're doing and how do we get our employees um, more on board. And I think the balance is making sure that it's making sure that HR, the leaders can um, sort of be the the broker, right? The honest broker in the organization that you need someone that can tell you when you're doing really good, but also help you to see where you might be going astray. And I think that's the role that HR has to play. Otherwise, you get a room full of yes people and or people who just want to agree with whatever the senior leader is saying or doing without fear, you know, because they don't want to say no. I think you've got to have someone who can respectfully look at all aspects of the business and be able to help coach or guide in a direction that's still tracking toward toward the goal. So I think that the role of HR, as it continues to evolve, it is doing so in a really great way. I'm all for, you know, letting employees have as much control over simple day-to-day kinds of processes and systems. Um, that allows the HR professional to really get involved in the core aspects of the business, which is where we have always been, but we're, we really need to go much deeper in our core competency and our skill sets and the application of what it is we do on a regular basis. And then I guess one one final question for you, other than collaboration and kind of this changing role of HR, what kind of are the, the trends that you're seeing that are the big things that our HR professionals are having to kind of tackle? Well, you know, there's always technology. Um, you've got a lot of different things that are happening within the world of, um, of human resources. And so you've got uh, technologies, and that includes social technology and engagement. You have this merging of or emergence of um, growing older population that is starting to retire. And then you've got to figure out what are we going to do with all of these different generational needs. And so you have, I don't say not just a millennial challenge, but you have a younger population that is changing the face of the workforce. So how do we address and, and adapt to those changes more quickly? So how do we take that large ship that's a small rudder and make some of those um, some of those changes? So I think that those are just a few of some of the, the challenges and the trends that you start to see uh, in HR. So you've got global challenges. We're flatter. Uh, so we have to adapt more quickly to some of the global trends, understanding business on a global front. Um, and then being able to tra- well, translate, acquire, but analyze information. So business analytics is not just for finance and marketing people. It's for HR. And so there's a presentation that I do on, on business analytics for human resource leaders because there are analytics, which means this is what we're doing is in analytics. We're saying this is the data is just the data. It's, it's just whatever the information is. But the analytics tells us what ha- what is the story behind the data? Can we use the data to predict future performance? And that's the next step that HR has to take. Thanks for listening to the CUNA News Podcast. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play. <laughs>